The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. So listen, my name is Octavio, and I'm, we're glad that you're all here. Fourth of July weekend, good to see you all. How many of you are off tomorrow? No one's off tomorrow? Okay. Oh, you are. Good, good job. I'm off tomorrow. Why, Octavio? Because tomorrow is my 29th wedding anniversary. That's right. And your 30th birthday? And my 30th birthday? No. <laughs> not so much. Not, not so much. No, not so much. Uh, yeah, 29 glorious, happy, blissful, painless, financially secure years. It's been the best six months of my wife's life. 29 years, and so we'll, we'll, we'll probably do something tomorrow. Take our Geritol shots and remember the good years. Hey, for the last couple of Sundays, we've been talking about uh, soul cravings, and, and I think it's appropriate today that we talk about the positive side of intimacy, one of the things that our souls do actually crave. It's funny how relationships can actually, uh, uh, you know, really enhance life or ruin life. And, and for my wife and I, it, it has obviously been a roller coaster in some levels. You know, if you've been married for any length of time, if you're in a relationship with somebody for about a year, you know that it has ebbs and flows, and, and uh, so it is with relationships and intimacy. And yet we saw last week that there's this dark side to intimacy where it, it, can, it can deteriorate into, oh, I kind of put this, I guess English would be the best way to do so, that um, your normal good craving for intimacy will sometimes become corrupted and it'll manifest in jealousy and in bitterness and in lust. And then from those three areas, it gets even weirder, right? And, and those are sometimes on our good days, you know, and, 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 uh, and yet there's a, there's a plus side to, to intimacy and, and how we uh, desire to be connected with somebody special and unique and a witness to our lives, someone who loves us and, and, you know, they know that we're a mess and they still say, I love you. Um, I can remember my first attempts at intimacy. It was probably the, the, the weirdest time for that is junior high school, right? Because you're just, you're horrid. You know, there's nothing about you that's attractive. Your, your parts of your body are growing, not proportionally, you know. It, it could be your ears. You have to grow into them, you know, or, or, or your te- something, right? Everyone's looking, like, everyone's looking at me like, I don't understand. You were there. There's photos of you guys, you know. You can look back. And I remember that time where at the junior high school dance, everyone was so eager for it. And then when people rush in, every, every, every guy's drenching himself with Brute by Fabergé or, or some other, you know, Old Spice, you know, and thinking you have a woman in every port. And, and, and you know, there's so st- stupid tension because once you get there, you are glued to the wall, you know, for fear that if you leave the wall, you'll jettison off the earth. And, and, and so I, I, I manned it up. You know, I said, I'm not going to be this guy. I'm going to go over across the wall, walk the green mile, and ask this girl to dance that I was all about. And, and so I went up to her and I, I said, hi, you know, I, I, I'm in your class. And hey, would you like to dance? You know? She said, no. <laughs> And it was like, no, it's like, it's like the music stopped and everybody looked, whoosh, you know, and then I had to do the walk of shame back, you know, <laughs> the hell happened, man, I'm wearing brute, what, what, what's wrong? 
So, uh, and, and, and we go do it again and again. And that's a funny thing about love and intimacy is that, is that you, you, you may love somebody very, very deeply. And, and you may give yourself completely. And, and, and they don't love you back. Or love seems to stop. And you wonder what happened. Still, we want intimacy. And uh, so this morning, we kind of all know sometimes the weirdness of it. I, I want to take us on a conversation about the, the functional or the good stuff about intimacy. And the first thing I'll tell you, and we're going to spend most of our time in First John this morning. The first thing I'll tell you is that, it, that, is that intimacy rids us of fear. Love has a way of liberating us from our fears. So let's go to First John chapter 4 and take a look at what this man had to say about love. First John 4.16. You know, the more you read um, stories in the scriptures, uh, you'll begin to feel a certain theme that every author has. If John has a theme, it's always going to be about love. Okay? So in First John 4.16, this is what he says. And we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Here's this phenomenal thing. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. Let me stop here and read that again. In this way, love is made complete or perfect or fulfilled among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we're like him. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So right off the bat, it, when John reads this, is that it tells us something about God. And, and so if you're here this morning, let's say you're the kind of person that's like, well, you know, my friends invited me or, you know, to come and check this out. So I'm here, and, and, and I congratulate you because on a Sunday morning, if you're not used to coming to church, I understand getting up in the morning. Even when you're used to coming, Sunday morning comes too fast. So, but understand that, that if you truly want to experience love as a human being, that John is saying that for that to happen, there's something about God that has to connect first. So this is not about rules. This is not about you know, being nice or not being naughty, but as a person fulfilled, you know, as a human being fulfilled, part of experiencing love the way that it was meant to be, meant to be experienced, is that there's a connection to God and that God is love and that a person who loves is experiencing God. The second thing about this, though, what's interesting to me is that, is that love frees us from fear. And then he goes on to explain that is that because fear has to do with punishment. See, I, I'm willing to bet that, that like me, there's, there's parts of your life that you're not very proud of. There's moments when you were at your worst you, you, you said something lousy, you did something lousy, you were lousy. Maybe you're in that stage of your life when you're just, I know I'm lousy. And part of your, you know, part of, like it has been for me in the past, that part of you in, in, in not coming or to church or, or reading the scriptures or even praying is that, you know, you kind of intuitively know I'm not the human being I should be. And if God exists like he's described... This blazing white-hot holiness. He and I can't have a connection. And if there is a connection, it's him as the punisher. And yet John says that it's, it's just the exact opposite. 
Look, you know what? God is betting the farm on love. Have some of you ever wondered, if, if God exists, why doesn't he just like show up like huge in the sky? You remember Independence Day? Remember the spaceships? Didn't you think, well, if God was out there, why didn't he just do like this, you know, I'm here, you know, maybe not that, but I'm here. Right? He could be just, you know, and everybody would say, oh, yeah, he exists. And, and you know, I should, I should go to church, apparently, you know, because he's really there. And, and churches and mosques and everything would be filled with people. I, I can tell you why I think he doesn't do that. Because he doesn't want to overwhelm us. Ever been that person where you, um, you're trying to win someone and uh, so you think that the way to motivate them to love you and appreciate your beauty as a human being is to text, to call, to email, to harass them, to drive by their home, to keep, you know, you, you think that if I just show them me, you know, they'll love me. No, not so much, you know. It, it's called stalking and there's laws on the book against that. Actually, uh, it's unhealthy and um, I don't recommend it. So I see some of you crossing up. Okay, to do, not stalk anymore. Maybe I won't stalk any less either, but uh, at least not anymore. See, love is, a, is this um, a dance. It's a rhythm. And what God invites us into is sort of a sacred romance. To move with him, breathe with him, heartbeat and heartbeat together. It's like those moments when you make that connection with a human being. It's an echo of what the connection God wants to make with us. And the thing about this is that, see, understand that if, if uh, when God drives out fear of judgment, then who I am as a person and my past is no longer an issue. So, I mean, if you're taking notes, if you're thinking about this, I want you to understand that your past does not matter to God. It's your future that matters to him, your destiny, not your past. In fact, it's the past that is the reason why he came in the person of Jesus Christ to absolve, to forgive, to wipe out, to, to move, remove the shame and to remove the guilt of what we've done or what we haven't done. Because I think that's what most of us labor under. It's like a freaking bag of rocks. And we wonder why we don't feel functional as a human being. Because we have this sense of shame. A, a, a kind of an uncomfortable nakedness. Like our ancestors, Adam and Eve, they realized that that covering was gone. Now, I want you to also understand that fear sets your limits. Fear sets your limits. It it, it determines your boundaries. Um, Anybody here afraid of heights? Oh, man, I totally feel you, dude. I I am, you know, if I wear high heels... No, kidding. If, uh, only on Saturdays. When I, if, if I, uh, there, there are places that I just, you know, going up the stairs, like, hey, you know, uh, there's some things that totally just will control me. And one of them is, is my fear of heights. And so, because I don't want to be controlled by that, uh, sometimes when you look to the west, you see downtown LA on a clear day. I, I manage customers. Uh, I work for ATT, raising the bar. And uh, I manage customers... Shameless plug, uh, iPhone released July 11th, and uh, the um, and, and so many times I'm okay on the ground, obviously, because you know you're on the ground. But when I go into the building and I, okay, I'm in the elevator, and the, the ones that say 45 to 65, like wow, 
and you hit the 47th floor. It doesn't even stop until it hit fourth. I go, I'm in this tube held by a wire, you know, and, and, and okay, I'm okay with that. I don't see anything. You step out, but then you'll go into the conference room where it's a glass wall. It takes me a second. But just so that I don't allow that to control me, I actually step over to the glass. You know, and I'm telling you, it's like lead. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And I, I, I kind of stand there and let that wave of vertigo wash over me. I can do this, and I don't know where to put my hands. And, and you know the elevator in the Bonaventure Hotel, the one with the glass thing that shoots up for some reason, like there's no gravity? I, I, I'll go up and down that elevator once or twice just so that I don't let that fear control me, but it, it does get to me. And there's this one picture. This is a photograph. I think some of you will know what it is. It's a photograph of these construction workers on a steel girder. It was taken in 1936. You know what's It's shaking your head. It's black and white, grainy, and their feet are dangling. I, I'm feeling it right now. Let <laughs> me get on the ground where it's safe. Uh, and they're eating lunch, and all I can think about is how did they walk on that? How did they get up and walk back from lunch? If I look at that photograph, I'll have that moment. All right, said all that to say this. All of your fears will set your limits. If you're afraid of being hurt, you will not give yourself in a relationship. Now, here's the part that's even strange. You may even have sex with somebody, but you will not give yourself in that relationship because you don't want to be hurt. Your fear of failure, you won't risk. Fear of people, you're going to avoid crowds. Fear of, I don't know, whatever you're afraid of is setting your limit. So this is something fascinating to me about what God says about fear being driven out by his love for us. Because I also realized that in Psalm 111 verse 10 it says, it's the fear of God though that's the beginning of wisdom. So you have what seems to be two conflicting ideas, except when you realize they're the flip side of the same coin. If fear is my limit, then when I connect to God in that relationship, my limits have been completely changed by connection to the God who loves me and removes my limits and seeks for me to realize my potential as a human being, as his son. See, for those of us who are parents, this might be easier for us to grasp there's nothing about my kids that I don't want them to realize all that they can experience in life. I, 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 when I see my kids in a healthy relationship, I'm happy for them. When I see my kids get their promotion, I'm happy for them. When I see my kids excelling in any area of their life, I'm happy for them. Because I want them not only to, to achieve that, but to go further. And understand that your Father in heaven, the God who creates you, the God that came for you, wants you to experience life to its fullest and to be the human being that he meant you to be. Exactly. The charismatic meeting. Some of you went to those churches. And so, perfect love drives out fear. And um, I think most of us have lived our lives perhaps controlled either by rules. Listen, either you've lived your life controlled by rules or controlled by your fear. And if you're in a spiritual community, most of it has been rules. And, and I, I got to tell you, I know they're well-meaning people, but I refuse to give people lists of what to do here. One reason is, it's my list. The second reason is, I trust the Holy Spirit, 
and your relationship to Jesus Christ that if you need to modify your behavior, he'll speak to you. But part of modifying your behavior is also healing what's wrong in the first place. And so if, if the Holy Spirit hasn't changed you yet, I mean, what kind of success am I going to have by telling you, yeah, follow these rules and you're a good believer? That's just silly. If you find yourself fearful in an area or challenged in an area, I'm telling you that the, the healing, the restoring of your soul takes place in a deep, authentic connection to Jesus Christ. And I, I am simple enough to believe that not because I've seen it not only in my own life, but I know some of your stories and I've seen it true in your lives. So, perfect love or intimacy with God drives out fear. And fear is what usually controls us. And what fear usually sets, sets our limits. And one last thought about this. I, I, fear is also like anger. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. Right? You, you know what anger is, right? Anger is, anger is a violation of what's right. I'll give you an example. If, 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 a, if a woman cheats on her husband and he gets angry, what is he angry about? That you violated our covenant, you violated our love, you violated our intimacy, you have violated our, 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 our relationship. And so to protect it, there's anger. This is why the scripture says, be angry for what's right, but don't sin, don't commit further evil. And so part of managing our anger is also be, beginning to change what we're passionate about. So anger is neutral. Fear is also neutral in some respects. That it's okay to fear. There's some things that you ought not to do that are just not healthy. It's being controlled by fears that's unhealthy. And again, if you're thinking this through, if, I, if, the, if the poet, if that Hebrew poet was speaking correctly, and I believe he was, then the fear of God, rather than constraining me, actually finally liberates me. But intimacy with, with God does more than that. Let's go to 1 John 4, 19, as we continue. It says this, and, and we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Uh, you know, that doesn't take much more explanation, doesn't it? John just pretty much, If you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Have you ever um, stumbled on that phrase? Because that, that's that word command. Uh, I, I, uh, my wife has often asked me, um, who are you? No, my wife has often asked me, what powerful event happened in junior high school? that stopped your emotional growth. And, and I, you know, I, I've thoughtfully and reflectively considered my answer, and it's always the same. It's, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> I, I, I can't, I, you know, as soon as someone says, don't do something, it is the most attractive thing to me to do. Well, you shouldn't do that. And I, I can't stop thinking about it. When I see a mindless, inanimate object with red and white squiggles that some people say means the word stop, I, I just refuse to listen to that. I don't listen to my wife. Why would I listen to that sign? 
Partially kidding. <laughs> yeah, partially. So when, when, when I hear that God says, I command you to love this person, my first question is that you can't command love. Correct? And you can't. So we're going to talk about this a little bit later. So let's go to the next, uh, let's go to ch- uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. What is it? We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So listen, don't be, don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you because we know that we've passed from death to life. Why? Because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. You know, when I read this, I want to read this and say that, okay, I love my brothers and, and I select who they are. Don't you? I have a theory. I don't think really most people like, any, like anybody. You just like you. Everyone's cocking their head. You know, no, listen, you, we, we do this. You can immediately connect to somebody when you discover, like, oh, you like the Decemberists too. Or, oh, you, you, you enjoyed the Coen Brothers film. Or you're into NASCAR. Or what, you know, and you're like, oh, you know, you're so fascinated and interesting. But at some level, what it is you like about them is that they're, they, they're like you. Try to like somebody who is nothing like you. That's the miracle. My wife and I disagree on everything. There's nothing that we agree on. Not food, clothes, the house. I, I mean, we, we have a perpetual argument for the last 29 years. And when she's healed and restored enough to, to understand that she's been wrong, I think we'll just advance so much further in our relationship. There's something creepy and weird about people that want to marry and only be around people that are like themselves. It's like, dude, you know, have a friend that doesn't agree with you, doesn't affirm you once in a while. And, and, and so we want to choose those people that we believe this verse applies to. But here's the thing. This verse applies to people that you don't like. Like family. Isn't it funny that you're related by blood to people that you wouldn't choose as a friend? Right? Do you ever, have you ever gone into a family gathering and you feel, was I adopted? Did mom have a lost weekend? Because are these really my brothers and sisters? You know what the miracle is, I, I think? It's not that we can get along with people that we like and they like us, because that's easy. Anybody does that. Anybody does that. It's been able to like and love people who are fundamentally completely different from us at every level. Now, I, I tend to like most people. I really do. What, what was that all about? <laughs> you get out of here, because you I don't like. No, I'm not kidding. Um, you can stay. And I like you. Um, the point is, but... but, but but, but there are, there's, there's one personality type that it just absolutely, you know, it makes my skin crawl. And, and that's really a show because then you just see muscle. Um, is that um, 
there's, there's, there's that personality type that's a little bit cocky, a little arrogant, a little prideful, and it just, you know, it's just hard to, to try to connect, you know? And I recognize that at some level, it's, that's the me that I don't like about me also. There's that beam, moat, eyeball to eyeball thing is that I'm looking at that worst part of me and, and to try to be loving and love that person is a challenge. You guys have your own. Maybe it's the person that's too loud, too quiet, too whatever. Actually, you know what? We always think that our social state, our, our relational component is the norm. Have you noticed that? And everybody else just sort of moderate to us. Part of intimacy with God rids us of our fear of shame and judgment from Him, resets our limits, but also allows us to love and care for people that are completely unlike us. And so Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians are cared for. People from different lives or lifestyles, people who have different musical tastes or backgrounds, and, and they're able to come into a spiritual community and recognize that at one level we are all fundamentally the same, that we need Jesus Christ to make us human beings. And so if you're measuring as a litmus test where you are with God, one way I can tell you is that what are the limits of your fears? And are you able to love people that you don't care for? Love does a little bit, intimacy with God also does a little bit more than that as well. Besides breaking down um, the uh, relational components that sometimes need to be restored. By the way, uh, you know the most dangerous person in your life, right? Is an ex. Right? That is the most dangerous, like, why? I'll tell you why. The reason is, <laughs> because, see, the, the person you have been intimate with, if, if it wasn't healthy, once you break it off, they're your sworn enemy. And, and uh, I, I love the, the clever and not so clever language we have for breaking up with people. In fact, I have a few classics, but since this is a dialogue this morning, what is, what is one of the ways that you have broken up with somebody or you had someone break up with you? Go ahead. It's not you, it's me. See, that's a lie, isn't it? Because you're really saying, it really is you. There's nothing about you that I'm digging. This is, you know, the first stage in me finally realizing it has been you all along. And so I'm setting you free. All right? Okay, what's another one? See, we're to thank you very much. In a spiritual community, we wrap it with spiritual life. I don't sense the Lord. I I love you. I really want to be, you know, with you, but I'm just not sensing the Lord wants us to be together. Please, man it up. Just say I'm done. You know, my, my son was dating this girl. He knew her from when they were little. Why was this? This is little. He, they, they knew each other as kids, and they ended up going to the same university. And they, they, they met up, and they started to date. And, and my son thought, oh, she's a cool girl. We have history. We're good friends. I know the families, you know. And so one day, she comes to him and says that, uh, you know, I love you. I love your family. Well, it's not the love. And, but uh, but I'm, I, I really want to spend more time with Jesus. Okay, awesome. See you. You know, cool. Great. Uh, wish you well. You know, we're, we're good. And a week later, she sees him with this emo doodle major. I'm sorry, art major. Um, 
walking through campus, you know, hand-holding, and my son says, oh, I guess I must be Jesus, you know? <laughs> Spending more time with Jesus. <laughs> We're so stupid. Okay, now what's the classic breakup line? I just want to be friends, which is phase one of me eliminating you completely from my life. I want to be friends. And friends don't always hang out or call or see each other for years, but we can still be friends. Uh, oh, I, this is one I've heard. Not told to me, obviously, but uh, uh, the one that says, I, I love you. Right? I really care for you, you know, but I, I just, I'm just not in a good place right now. Or, I, I can't be with you now. Which means, that could go a couple of things. That could mean, you know, I've already, I'm already dating somebody else. So, and I can't juggle the both of you because you both live in the same city or too close. Because, you know, I've done the long distance thing in San Diego and the Valley. You can kind of manage that. But when they're in the same city, they might run into each other. Dude, isn't it horrible? Like if you're out with somebody and, you, you, and you're supposedly exclusive and then you're out with some place and you think you're far enough away and then that other person's in the same room. It's my cousin. <laughs> We're very affectionate in my family. <laughs> yeah, the, the, worst person, the worst person in your life can be an ex. Marriages, when they end in divorce, gosh, there's such horrible verbal violence and and nastiness, and it, it's, it's hard to believe these people were once tenderly cared for each other and even produced a child. And that's one of the dark sides of intimacy. If love is real, if love is real, love will always leave the other person better. Always. Now, I, you know, at the risk of sounding like a dad, okay, let, let, me, let, me, let me give you a suggestion of you're dating somebody. This is... You do what you want with it. Guys, you want to be able to shake the hand of your girlfriend's husband if it's not you and be able to look him in the eye and say, hey, look, when I was dating her, I protected her purity. I cared for her as a sister. You want to be able to, to leave that person better, not ashamed. And I, I don't have any advice for girls because I'm, I've never been one. And so I'll just, I'll just speak to the guys. So you guys, you, you, you want to leave the person better, not worse off. Don't take what's not yours. All right. Yeah, relationships. Then we do it. We know that love goes wrong. There's country music to prove it. Or is that music that's gone wrong? Oh, I said it. You can love somebody and care for them, and like I mentioned, then they just walk away, and it leaves you, you know, wondering, what's wrong with you? Why doesn't someone love me? Why doesn't someone stay? And uh, it's risky. Um, I was talking to a, a friend just this morning, and I remember thinking that when my son got married, you know, I, I added his wife to that circle, you know, I, I was explaining in a toast at this uh, gathering with her family that, you know, my son's forever my heart. That's not going to change, no matter what he does, where he goes. But his wife's in his heart. 
And so by extension, she's also in my heart. And I recall on their wedding day, the thoughts that were flashing through my mind is that, oh, I, 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 you know, this is just where I go. I thought one of these days, one of them will be left weeping because one of them will die before the other. Or one may become ill or one might get that horrible phone call that someone has passed away and, 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 or, and then I go, oh my gosh, what if they have kids? Then I'm going to care for those kids. And, and just, you know, and it just love is risky. See, when you love somebody, when you love people, you take the chance that they're not going to love you back and that they're going to hurt you. I'm going to tell you, though, that the alternative is an implosion of your soul and a less than human experience. Yeah, love is painful. Love is risky. But the option is, is existing as a subhuman. And so God's intimacy with us allows us to be fully human and to love people, even people we don't like. But, but it's more than that. See, I think we also know intuitively that love is meaningless unless there's some action behind it. Of all the great religious stories, of all the great world religions, the one unique thing about Christianity may be this, that in this story that we are living, this is the God that comes for us. I have to tell you something. There is nobody else coming for us. There's no one else who's choosing to take the action that because I loved you, I'm going to come for you. Let me read you something here. Stay, stay in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Well, how, how, do we, how can we know love? 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ... Lay down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. See, if you've ever wondered, have I made a connection to, to God through Jesus Christ? One of the ways that you can measure that is your actions towards others. You know, God wasn't up in heaven when looking at us and saying, wow, I really love these people. Someone should help them. Someone should do something. Maybe somebody else will come along. Because of God's love for us, he took the action of becoming one of us, living our lives, displaying his beauty, explaining his love, and then made that with each of us. We intuitively know this, right? See, girls, let me ask you a question. Women, you know who you are. If your boyfriend or, girl, or, boyfriend or husband says, I love you, and never gives you a card, flowers, gift, bottle, perfume, whatever, dinner out, you don't believe him, right? You don't believe them. But the minute that they plan something special, hey, baby, we're going out tonight. Let's go this or, you know, why don't you get dolled up because we're going to go out. They send you a card. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the power of literature. It's shocking. Guys, you don't know what you're missing with a card 
We'll give dead vegetation to somebody. These little corpses wrapped in paper, right? Flowers. And for some reason, they're just like magic. It's magic. You don't have to say a thing. In fact, it's even better if you don't. And, and, and it just communicates, look, with its, its actions. Um, my wife and I have a game at the house. It's called How High Can It Go? And we play with the trash can. And because uh, I'm going to do it. But the thing is, is that I, I don't want to do it. And so I have to somehow get under my wife's skin to let her know that I'm being magnanimous and doing it. And, and so she'll walk by. And, by the way, we all do the balancing act, right? You put that one piece of paper on there so that it stays because it's teetering. The trash. But you won't take it out. So I'll, my wife will do that one trash thing. And she's kind of, because she knows that's my job. And I'll say, honey, that trash ain't going to take itself out. You should just, you know. So I do it. I notice that in the mornings when I make coffee for my wife, I French press it. And I bring her the paper. I could just see her whole body relax. Because she loves that. I, I don't. I don't get that at any level. You know, paper and coffee in bed. Like, I'm eating in bed. This is disgusting. <laughs> Should be at a table. But it speaks to my wife. So I bring her the paper and coffee in bed. And she just... <laughs> I, I could tell. I go, man, I... Home run. <laughs> Love requires actions. Love, love is not how you feel. It's what you do. Love is not what you feel. It's what you do. With your boyfriends, with your girlfriends, with your friends, in your family, and with others in the community. Love is what you do, not how you feel. Not just what you say you're going to do. And many times I think the most powerful ways that we say it I love you to somebody. It's just to love them in a way that's meaningful to them. And finally, I think this is the one that's probably the most important, is that intimacy connects us to God. So let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who, ha- who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever does not love, does not know God because God is love. God becomes the essence and the life force behind our souls. See, I, I, I'm embarrassed by the fact that I realize there's some people I just don't like. And I recognize that, that sometimes that's probably an indication of where I'm not connected correctly to God. There's some healing that still needs to be done. But, but, but see, here's a question you can only ask yourselves as, as we take a look at our lives. When you look at your relationships overall, family, friends, people, I mean, I know, listen, I know some crummy stuff has happened to you guys. And I know maybe we've done some crummy stuff. But ask yourself, am I a person that, that is, am I, am I known for being a loving person? Would people, would people describe me that way? Because see, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if that's one of your identifiers, one of the things that ought to be evident is that you're a person that loves other people. Now, I know that, you know, that you're not going to rock around and hug the stranger at Starbucks or something like that. I get that, you know. I don't mean to be creepy and weird. I mean that, that, that your actions 
and your overall view of life is that I, I tend to love humanity because God is changing me, not because I have to, not because it's, it's a command, but because there's some new force in my life that's changing me from the inside out. My speech, my actions, my disposition, the way I treat people is now changing. And I tend to love more instead of loving less. And we love people who are different from us. And I'll tell you a miracle, I think, that happens. You begin to recognize that for the first time, you're actually loving people other than yourself. I mentioned at the beginning of this little talk that, uh, you know, the, the, the painful, painful, I'm, I'm getting over it, the junior high school dance episode. Um, at some level, I want you to understand that God is inviting each of us into a sacred dance. It's an invitation. He's not forcing himself on anybody. He's not pressuring anybody. He's not overwhelming anybody. But he invites you to get rid of your fears, break down walls and barriers, to connect in a healthy way to other people, and to connect to him forever. And so he asks, do you want to dance? Let's close in prayer for a moment. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Just even saying that phrase, our Father in heaven. And um, God, what I pray this morning is for people when they hear the word Father who might have even a negative reaction to that phrase, to that word, to that concept, that uh, you begin to melt their souls and soften it that they would begin to see you and your beauty and your kindness and your love towards them. That they would understand that uh, you have come for all of us and you have come for them. Uh, thank you for being good to us and kind and patient and inviting us into a relationship with you, into a sacred relationship with you that allows us to be free and to get rid of our walls and barriers and to love people. So during the week as we have these conversations in our head and with you, I pray that you would speak to us in those areas that we're still hurting and damaged and where you want to touch us and heal us so that we might resemble your son more and more. For his sake and in his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.